welcome to Devs Advocate, podcast by game developers for game developers. My name is Eric. And my name is Anthony. And on this episode, we are talking to the lead of North Wolf, Mike Manojovic. Did I say that right, Mike? It's close enough. It's a hard one. <laughs> is it Mickey? Yeah, I, I go by Mickey or Mike. Um, so, guys, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. No, it's great to have you. I don't know if you remember, but I met you at EGLX in 2018, I think, mm. showcasing your game. And it kind of stuck out to me. It definitely was a memorable one. So nice. Uh, when when we got in touch on Twitter, I was really happy that I found you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think it was 2018. I was in EGLX 2018 and 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah, showcasing Hellbound the Awakening. Um, so you're you're the lead of North Wolf, a software dev studio. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about that studio before we get into your game? Absolutely. Yeah. So so North Wolf, uh, I found the North Wolf uh, at the end of 2016. Um, basically, uh, the main focus of the studio is to create amazing video games. And also because I do have over 16 years of experience providing uh, software solutions. And so basically what I wanted to leverage is, you know, create a team to continue create those software solutions so that we can have the financing to then create the awesome games. This is like my dream. You're living my dream. That's exactly how I've always pictured funding my own game development was first do like the software stuff where the money's kind of more guaranteed a little bit. And then finance your what you're actually passionate about. Yeah, it's you know it's extremely challenging. It's something that uh, you know nobody tells you this stuff until you kind of go through the process. Um, you know, I met a lot of really cool uh, dev studios across Canada and states. And number one thing is you know obviously you get a publisher and then you get you might do a Kickstarter campaign and then you get other financing. Um, but what happens is that each except Kickstarter. Each of those fundraising campaigns really takes a chunk of your profits. Mm. So another alternate way is, you know, if you do come from software background is to leverage that, uh, create the software um, for other companies. That's, you know, really good revenue in there. Then you can really self-finance and publish potentially the game. So mm. it's challenging, but uh, I think it's also very rewarding. It, it, it's, it's, it's really hard um, because... So, for example, I have uh, there's uh, five of us on the team, and we're really kind of spread spread across the globe. So, um, there are some part-time developers in Canada, and there's marketing, for example, in Spain, sales in UK, uh, another um, uh, dev in Serbia, and so forth. Um, the challenging part is that you can only focus on so many things at once, um, and uh, working on a video game that's enormous amount of uh, focus and dedication so what i try to do is i try to initiate projects and then really just manage them and let other talented people kind of run through them so that way i can really focus on the game from the game perspective uh from hellbound the awakening uh i've been working solo on it so i do have a uh, somebody who's creating the music and so forth but mm-hmm. i'm really the one that's been developing and drawing and animating um, that wasn't intended originally. I was really looking to hire a team. I just couldn't find anybody that was a good fit. So I decided to take it on myself. So this kind of business model, it is quite challenging focusing on game development and other software. 
but once you kind of get a good flow uh, and you get to manage it properly, then you have enough time to work on your on the game. Uh, so was it an intentional plan? Like, okay, I'll develop software for like X years. And then once I hit like this threshold of something, money or security, then I can finally develop a game? No, no, it wasn't. Uh, so I kind of fell into um, the same, I would say, <laughs> black hole or a void that a lot of game developers um, fall into. And that's basically... You know, you want to create a deep dream project and you start working on it. Then you realize that what you thought would be a year and ends up being five or six years. Um, and so, yeah. so that's one of the challenges when I started um, working. So end of 2016, I decided that I really wanted to focus on, you know, video game development. I quit my job. I started Northwolf. And I actually moved to Spain for three months. Um, and reason being is because I really wanted a different experience. I knew the type of game that I wanted to create, mm -hmm. but I really wanted to experience some of the settings and atmosphere um, to kind of give me some ideas. When I went to Spain, my idea was to hire four or five people that would, you know, animators, um, artists, developers, and then hopefully within the two years, we would finish the game. That didn't happen. So, um, I couldn't find anybody uh, that was a good fit there. And then so when I came back, I decided to, why don't I work on it? And you know, I'll learn how to draw. I'll learn how to animate. And then when I do hire somebody, mm -hmm. at least they will have something to you know continue to work on. And it's been now three years since I've been just solely working on Hellbound and I'm still by myself. And I do try to add artists and so forth, but I just couldn't find anybody that's a good fit yet. So. Uh, it wasn't the original plan, but because it took so long, I realized that I need to create some kind of a pipeline for the revenue. And that's when I also extended to the uh, the software, um, creating software for other companies, and then kind of fun, you know, continue working on Hellbound. I'm kind of in the same boat in that way, where a lot of the stuff, it was unanticipated, and then I had to, like, learn new stuff and get a lot of those skills. So I'm curious, how are you enjoying that? Like, what were the hardest most challenging for you skills to attain and um how are you liking doing all that stuff now that's a great question the the hardest so i had to learn how to program in video game world so mm -hmm. the only experience i had prior to uh album the awakening is i did create two mobile games as a hobby uh, and these were small games that i created using swift for ios um, so I didn't have a huge experience with game development. Uh, I just had basic. So I had to learn, you know, about state machines from the game development perspective and a lot of different things, uh, shaders and so forth. So that was challenging, but not too bad because I do come from programming background. Okay. Uh, artwork, drawing, um, it was a little bit harder, uh, but again, not as hard. It was just practicing and you know getting into a flow and experimenting with different tools. Mm -hmm. But animation has been by far the hardest part. And I, you know, with with learning anything new, you feel like you're climbing a mountain. Mm -hmm. And you know, you I started learning how to develop with Game Maker. Uh, that's the software as mm -hmm. a game engine that I chose. So it took me, you know, you're climbing the mountain and finally you learn it, and then. I started drawing and um, you know climbing the mountain. So every time you start new, it, it's really hard. Uh, you start losing motivation and, and like, I'll just try today. I'll give it one more day. And you see mm -hmm. the progress, 
And then I hit animation, and that was a nightmare. So <laughs> now finally I have a good flow, but mm-hmm. um, you know those were probably the three hardest things um, that I had to learn. So before uh, we get too deep into those details, because I'm I'm really interested in your perspective as a software developer into a game developer, um, can you just give us the elevator pitch rundown about Hellbound Awakening? Yeah, absolutely. So Hellbound Awakening is. Uh, it's a 2D Metrovania style of a game that's really heavily uh, heavily inspired by the classic uh, Castlevania games from the 16-bit era. Now, the um, it's not a side platformer. It's more like over-the-top uh, 2D style of a view. Um, but yeah, so it's really heavily inspired by the Castlevania as well as the uh, Divine Comedy. So you're going to have some lore from Divine Comedy where you are going through different circles of hell. Now, even though it is a 2D game, it has some rogue elements, and I really wanted to make it dark and gothic so that, um, you know, I always felt that Castlevania was one of my favorite franchise, and I felt that after the Symphony of the Night, when it went into the full 3D era with uh, Nintendo 64, that it really lost its footing, like some games like Sony did and so forth. And I felt the Konami really never got um, kind of back to the former glory. Uh, You know, they were at one point king of consoles. And so what I wanted to do is I really wanted to take some of those cool elements I remember as a kid, also add some really cool modern mechanics, some from the uh, Soul series and so forth, Um, and then really combine it into like an experience, a game that, you know, I always wanted to play. So like you mentioned, uh, you just brought up Souls mechanics and you mentioned rogue elements so what's what's the general kind of experience that you're aiming for for the player the game is going to be challenging uh, uh the enemies are going to be uh, unique and they're going to have different approaches um what um kind of from the experience from the roguelike perspective when you start a brand new game you get a random tarot card reading um mm-hmm. and so what the tarot card reading is really supposed to represent is I have a relative who has MS and he's really paralyzed. And, uh, you know, he told me once that, you know, in life, you know, we don't have a choice of the cards that are dealt to us, but we do have a choice on how we play the cards that we have. And I, and to me, that was such a powerful message because, you know, that's really true in life. You know, you know, some people have more things than others, uh, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't mean that they're going to have a better life. So what I want to do is I want to take that message, put it into the game. So when you start a game, you get a random tarot card reading. Now this tarot card reading, what it does, it it modifies the game slightly, right? So it's not going to completely change the levels, but it's going to offer different pathways. It's going to offer slightly different enemies, different bo- boss encounters. And for example, there is one scenario where the game will change. So if you get the three of the worst cards, then basically uh, the main the player gets terminal illness. And so what happens is that that completely changes the game. So you're not just leveling up and going through the dungeons. Now you always have to extend your life because you are going to die. And so it, it's a completely different. So he's going to be more powerful. You're going to have all the cool special abilities, but he's going to alternate it slightly. So. 
So it's somewhere in between. So mm-hmm. it's you are you have souls like uh, elements where it is challenging and cool bosses, and you do explore environment. There are certain RPG elements because you are leveling up your abilities and so forth. Um, and there is a little bit of a random factor mm-hmm. as well. Super cool. Uh, what games um, recently inspired you for this game? I think we're seeing like a lot of roguelike games coming out these days. Were there any recent games that kind of have pushed a bit of inspiration on you? Uh, to be honest, uh, really the game that, um, beside the Castlevania, um, that um, really pushed me to to go into game development has been the original Demon Souls. So I remember when Demon Souls came out, um, nobody bought it. Nobody was interested in it. It actually <laughs> almost flopped in Japan. They had like 40,000 sales. Sony didn't want to publish it in mm-hmm. North America. So um atlas i believe atlas uh picked it up because always picked up <laughs> pick up weird games yeah. so um and i remember i picked up the game um rented it from Bullbuster. um reviews were good but you know it wasn't hyped here and i played it in the morning i actually didn't go to work that day i was so mesmerized by the elements and the challenges in the game um that that was one of the at that point i was kind of bored with the um the games that were coming out i found them very stale so this was something that was fresh and made me realize that, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, if it's 2021 or 2010 or, you know, 80s or 90s, you can always bring new experiences um, in game development. So I, I do play as much as I can now. Hades has been a game that I played. Yes. Um, I really enjoyed, I really liked. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, some of the games. Uh, but um, I don't know, I find that one of the also reasons why I wanted to create Hellbound and get into the game development in general was, you know, I found, find that right now, um, like when Diablo 3 came out, to me, there was a disappointment because everybody's trying to, I know it's business. People are obviously, you know, in game development to make some money. And so what's, what's happening is a lot of these games are getting washed out because they really want everybody to buy it. And uh, Diablo 3 for me was that disappointment, you know, coming from the uh, Diablo 1 and 2 where it was very dark. And then you go into Diablo 3 that's World of Warcrafty, and and it was meant for everybody, but it is not for everybody. And so I kind of wanted to really create a game that, you know, I'm not getting pushed by publisher and I can have the creative freedom to create, you know, my own vision. I'm I'm looking at the screenshots and I was watching the trailers and there's a lot of really cool big bosses. Which was your favorite boss to design and uh, tell us a bit about it? Uh, there, there, there's definitely a couple ones that I um, really like designing. Um, so, so there's uh, Beezle Bob, which is the uh, Lord of Flies. And uh, so Bizzle Bob is actually me. <laughs> so, so what I do is from an anim- animation perspective, I use a rotoscoping. So that was the trick that, you know, uh, I think with everything, especially animation, you have to practice for so many years to get to kind of like the Walt Disney style. So, but there's an alternate method. It is rotoscoping. And uh, Ralph Bakshi was an expert back in the 70s and 80s with it. So um, I kind of, Took that so Bizzle Bob is it's basically me uh you know video capturing my expressions and so forth and it was really nice. cool to to create a boss that is basically you see this big massive head coming out of the floor and he spits flies at you because in um from divine comedy limbo is actually you know people are just kind of sitting 
you know, crying. They're, you know, they're, they're basically stuck there and they're continuously getting um, bitten by uh, horse flies or stung by bees. So mm -hmm. I really kind of wanted to incorporate that. So that was one that was cool. Another one actually you can see in the trailer is uh, the Witch Queen. Um, and basically that was an interesting um, boss because the way that I started was basically it was supposed to be a witch with chains and I couldn't get the chains working properly. And that was for the EGLX of 2019, trying to prepare it for that show. And then what I did was I uh, motion captured um, my wife's sister and it ended up being perfect because like her expressions and everything was amazing. So um, yeah, like each, each boss is cool. And what I like to do is I like to make it them um, unique and different, right? So you have a boss that's basically, a narcissist um and it's basically you know it's 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 a painting that's uh lifting and throwing tiles at you so it's completely different than the other bosses you have to use some strategy on how to how to kill him so yeah cool um the uh, one reason i don't love demon souls and it's not because i don't love the hardcore i was like oh all i have to do is just roll to the right or left for like <laughs> every boss so uh how hard was it to make a new mechanic for each and every boss and you know not go crazy trying to figure out something unique yeah that's extremely difficult um especially when you're working on the game by yourself so what i tend to do is as soon as i get some preliminary mechanics in there um i get one of my friends to test it and just to run through it uh, and okay. typically they kind of go through and they find, well, you know, you didn't think of this. If you stay in here, just here, <laughs> you're invisible. <laughs> so, okay. So go back and, uh, and fix that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, uh, a challenge with the video game development is, and I see this in a lot of games is that obviously, you know, you get to the point where, um, you know, you can perfect everything or you can, you know, say this is good enough. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is I'm not, I'm, I'm trying not to fall into that. Like, oh no, I'm just want to release it. Uh, I really want to make sure that each boss feels interesting and different. Uh, but I also have to, you know, uh, ensure that I do release this, uh, you know, in the next year or two. So, yeah, that's a tricky balance. Um, and I think that's probably, I feel like that's, that takes more discipline than being really good at something is saying okay i gotta meet deadlines even if i don't have a you know publisher putting you know me under their thumb you have to impose deadlines on yourself and really commit to being a professional in that way right because otherwise there is always room for improvement absolutely yeah and uh challenge being is like you said you know there's no publisher and so you know there's nobody pushing you and uh and if you don't set those milestones in stone you end up seeing kind of months going by and you know you're perfecting this area and before you know it a whole year went by and yeah the area looks great and you know those but when you add to kind of uh, the content of the game it's it's not as you know where it should be so it is you're right it's it's a it's a really um good discipline to kind of get um you know get yourself familiar with and you know instilling yourself so um, but it takes practice like anything. Yeah. So, I mean, you're in the business of software anyways, so you probably know kind of how to set those goals. But I find like 
that's very true of me like i could spend forever on the same gameplay element or the same piece of art because i'm a perfectionist um when do you just kind of you know decide look like it's good enough i need to move on to the next piece otherwise this will never get completed how do you determine like the milestone or the the allotted time you can spend on the background of something right you know so at this point what i decided to do is give myself a week so let's say i'm working on the new area like i'm working on a new circle of health what i like to do is i uh, i start i have a bunch of ideas I put those ideas in very rough format. You know, sometimes I might, you know, look at one of my favorite movies that has a monster and just cut out and put it into the game just so that I can visually see it uh, to see if it's a fit before I start drawing it. Um, and I give myself a week because whatever I finish within that week, then I say, okay, let me just go back. What's my next milestone? And I'll come back to this. And when I start working on the next milestone, A gives me a fresh view when I go back a week or two later, um, which helps me a lot. Um, and then second also is because now I'm working on something else, I can say, well, you know, this is maybe more important than, you know, perfecting this one monster. You know, maybe it, that monster is just good enough, you know. Um, let's continue working on the boss because, you know, you have, you're going to have a lot of monsters, but you're going to have, what, like eight, nine, ten bosses. So I really want to, you know, make sure that they're, you know, exceptionally memorable. Um, and with, with the enemies, if they have three attacks or two or one, you can kind of, you know, um, you can juggle that, I would say. So I give myself a week. Um, so I'm also coming from software land. I'm full-time software developer. And I think a lot of gamers are, or game developers are also taking the same path to become an indie game developer. So what do you think... Um, what kind of advice would you have for software devs going into game dev? You kind of talked a little bit about it, like how different the state machine might be, but are there any other kind of dramatic differences or like tips you would want to give um, a new indie dev who's coming from software? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I really like most of my experiences in my professional career, uh, even in education was, you know, jump into the deep, you know, end of the pool. Um, and I don't recommend that for everybody. Um, I think kind of as a software developer, you know, when I was going for software development, there was no option to uh, look at video game design. So I originally graduated Mohawk College in 2004. Um, and at the time, the closest that I could get to video game development was programming. And we were learning COBOL and AS400, all the fun 50-year-old um, programs, 60. but. Uh, yeah, so what I would say is anybody who is in software uh, or art or animation thinking about uh, going into game development, I would really stress start small, you know, uh, join game jams, uh, network with people uh, and start small, you know, take, you know, start with a game a month and doesn't matter the quality of that game, work on it with somebody, uh, even if it's by yourself, but, you know, it's always better if you have somebody else as well and release it, you know, a month later and, you know, maybe on mobile, cause that's the easiest way. My first game that I released, uh, Blades on Mars, it took me a month. You know, I um, released it on the iPhone. It had reasonable downloads. It was like about uh, 25,000 downloads. Um, wow. So yeah, it was just a month. It was like a Super Mario in space type of game. 
but yeah, so just you know, start very small. Uh, and then I, what I would say is also uh, networking is really the key. So uh, that's why you know uh, when I was in EGLX 2018, I just had some basic functioning of the game, and I was extremely nervous because uh, before that nobody played my game beside my friends. Mm. So I remember, you know, going there, uh, you know, I was a little, you know, sick because I was nervous and so forth. And then when I got the feedback from people playing, that feedback really advanced the game so much more. Um, and then when I went back in 2019, it's the same thing. So, you know, networking is the key and start small. That's the number one thing that I would say. But another thing that I would say is also that anything can be learned. And I think I can definitely speak for that. So if you're a software developer, it does not mean that you're not an artist or a composer or an animator uh, or that you can't do marketing. You can do all of it. It's just really sitting down and taking time to learn that. Uh, and Canada has amazing networking and uh, fundraising um, support for uh, indie game developers. So, you know, you have Canada Media Fund. Um, there is the Ontario funding as well. Um, you have uh, Ubisoft uh, gives away uh, price packages actually starting in April. They, every April, they take, uh, you know, if your game is just starting off, uh, they review it. And if you win, you can get $50,000. Um, so, and the way that I actually, so Hellbound the Awakening is coming to Nintendo Switch as well as Steam. And how I got on Nintendo without a publisher or any other, uh, basically, um, I heard about Canada Games Online. It was an event happening in September. Uh, and it was really great people from Canada um, uh, connecting you to kind of business to business, uh, lots of different companies around the world. And this is where I saw a, a rep from Nintendo, um, from I think it was from North America, a business development manager. I messaged him and pitched the game and he said, you know, you're good to go. So nice. if it wasn't for this event, you know, 95% of the companies who tried to pitch to Nintendo get rejected. I, you know, I, I did it uh, once before I got rejected. Uh, I spoke with a bunch of uh, indie devs, they got rejected. So, you know, it was, you had to have a good publisher to, to be able to, um, to get to them. But again, you know, with proper networking, you can also do that. So I was going to ask you what made you want to uh, want to get into game development, but it sounds like this is something you've always wanted to do. It is, yeah. So from the first day that uh, you know I saw a video game when I was a kid, um, I was really mesmerized. You know, how was this made? Um, I'm a huge movie freak, and uh, I love movies, and you know, I love music. And the first time I experienced a video game it completely blew my mind, kind of the experience that you get through it. Mm -hmm. So ever since growing up, I always loved video games, extremely passionate about them. And, you know, when I was going to school, video game wasn't an option uh, as a degree um, or education. So I chose programming, which was closest to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was always in me. It's something that I've been extremely passionate about. When I first played that original demo of your game, I think there was some some heavy metal music going on in it, and uh, I recall. I feel like um, I think recently you said that somebody suggested or decided to contribute some orchestral music to your game. Um, I was just wondering if it still had 
that metal going on? And also, are you a metalhead? <laughs> I'm not a metalhead. I do love metal music, but I'm not, you know, um, it's not all I listen to. Um, growing up in the kind of 80s, 90s, um, that, that was most of the music that I listened to. But uh, I added into the game because um, I really wanted to kind of, at that time in 2018, to be very fast paced with some really, you know, awesome music. Uh, Slain, a uh, game, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar yeah. with it. Uh, yeah. So that kind of triggered the whole heavy metal because when I played the game, I was like, wow, heavy metal, you know, killing monsters, good formula. So mm -hmm. I put it in, uh, but then during the EGLX, people were like, yeah, you know, the music sounds great. But then I also had feedback where you should take the music out. It would make it more atmospheric. So then after EGLX, I took the music out and I start putting more of your typical kind of dungeon and so forth. Um, and I really like what uh, Demon Souls and other Souls games have done is where you, there's not much of the music until you have a big encounter. Mm -hmm. So I put that formula in um, and I have a composer from, uh, from Morocco and you know she's amazing. Uh, she creates uh, really cool dark fantasy music. So I basically added that in, and I love the experience. So uh, the heavy metal music is out, unfortunately, mm. uh, but there's going to be some really cool, unique music in there. That's all awesome. Um, I'm a metalhead, so maybe I'll just play my own music in the background. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask um, about game engines. I think I went through three different game engines so far. Um, and it's mostly because I have a hard time making choices. So for indie devs, new or old, what is the best way and, and how did you determine, you know, what this is the engine I'm going to stick with? That's a great question. It's, it's a, a really a challenge because when you read about game engines and you read the reviews and people say, you know, this is either easy to use, you know, it's powerful, it's supported, it's got a great community. But there are things that nobody talks about. And so when I started, um, you know, I started in, in Swift. So using IS development, and that was a nightmare because you had to create your own, you know, physics engine and, and everything. Um, and a friend at work, she started creating a game using GameMaker. And some of my friends were using Unity. So I went on to start using Unity and I, I liked it, but I wasn't, you know, too impressed with it at that time. And then I said, you know what, let me see what I can do in GameMaker. And literally within, I think it was uh, a day, I was able to have a prototype in GameMaker kind of running, which was the foundation of Hellbound the Awakening. So I said, okay, look, you know, because I know how much work is going to go into, the last thing I want to do is, you know, uh, wrestle uh, and struggle with an engine. So if I can create a game maker and it was supported, you know, Microsoft, Xbox and Sony, PlayStation and Steam, perfect. Um, but I also tried Unreal as well. So those were kind of the engines. Now, game maker, would I recommend it to anybody? Probably not. Uh, reason being is that uh, there's not a lot of people using it. I do, I did encounter other, uh, companies that are using GameMaker and they're creating some really cool games. The challenge, which I mentioned in the beginning that nobody talks about is in GameMaker, you had 1.4, which I started working on. Then they switched to two, which completely broke my game. 
they completely they changed the fundam fundamentals of the engine. So I had to completely redo the game. And then they went to from two to two point three, probably in, in October, November, which completely broke my game. And at each time when your game breaks, you know, I'm standing there and thinking like, okay, do I switch to Unity? But I do remember <laughs> I do remember reading a lot of kind of failed projects. And number one reason is changing the game engine. So I always say, okay, hold on. Before I go and now change and replace the engine, let's go through this. So that's the thing that nobody talks about is when you do pick an engine and your project is, you know, three, four, five years, what does that look like? You know, are you going to have to, during those years, completely uh, recreate your projects and lose, you know, four, five, six months to do that? Uh, or, you know, is it a, a solid engine that has good support, um, that is growing its features, but not ripping out previous ones? Um, just to, to agree with you there, um, so I had originally developed this game in Unity, and I'd written my own um, like TCP server in C Sharp. And that took me about, I'd never done any TCP stuff, so it took me like six months to learn what I was doing. And I got it to a point where it was like working, and then I started to become a Node.js developer. And in maybe two weeks, I redid the entire game in Node.js and an HTML engine called Play Canvas, you may have heard of. And I got further in two weeks than I had in six months just because technology was so much simpler. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at something like Unreal, for example, um, I had a, a, a first-person shooter demo within a day following tutorials. I created a... A, a virtual reality game. Not a, it wasn't a game. It was an app um, where you know you you are in kind of like a, a house and you explore the house and so forth within two days. So currently, these game engines are um, so advanced from that perspective that it's really easy to get into it. The problem becomes when you're looking at a long-term project. It's kind of figuring out you know what is sustainable, um, and also when you're looking at a, hiring talent, you know, if I put an ad for a Unity developer, I will get thousands of developers. If I now put an ad for a game maker developer, you know, I would imagine that, you know, I probably won't get like a quarter of, of Unity developers. Yeah, I think I've been lucky actually <laughs> in that way because I did um, make a mobile game for uh, 1.4. And then when I imported it into 2, it just worked perfectly. And then now I'm working in two on my current game, and I imported that into two point three, and it just worked perfectly again. <laughs> They've been great at you know adding and so forth features, but you know one point four, for example, like the the level of depth. So when you have different objects, mm -hmm. was uh, you know based on you know your y coordinate. Uh, so you would just have a code to say you know where am I in the y coordinate, and then I'm in front of you know uh, the other object where. With 2.0, they completely changed that, removed that, and they added layers. So, you know, now you had to create a new object that basically had to figure out the depth of each element. Um, so it, it, it's um, it was a, a big piece to modify. Mm -hmm. And then with with 2.3 was actually bugs that they introduced with 2.3. They removed so so with 2.3 in Game Maker. They wanted to expand the animation 
um, kind of UI that they had there, so you can kind of modify and so forth. Mm -hmm. But they broke some key functionality. So it was the bugs that broke my game. And so then I had to go back and uh, uh, recreate it in a way to uh, go around those bugs. So that was that, that was uh, one of the problems. Yeah. I mean, I think all game engines probably have their quirks. I know I've heard complaints about, same complaints about Unity, where somebody was working in Unity 2017, and then they upgraded, and the project wouldn't work in Unity 2020 anymore. So, you know, I think all engines just have their strengths and weaknesses, right? Yeah, it's the way she goes. Yeah, yeah. And that's something when you start off, you know, if you are working on a small project, then something that you don't think about much. But, uh, you know, when your project is longer than two years, it's something that once you go through it, you know, for next project, you're like, okay, you know, um, you know, I'm aware that that could potentially delay a project for months. Um, so you talked a little bit uh, briefly about hiring a composer that you know. Um, I'm kind of feeling like I'm at that stage where I have a working prototype, but my art is bad and I still want to spend a lot more time on the development and I'd like to hire an artist. So, I mean, I'm a nobody, um, just a regular person. How do I define like a budget for myself and and where, like, how do I choose an artist? Obviously, I'm working for free, so I don't expect someone else to work for free, but how do I kind of, you know, budget out an artist as just a plain old indie developer? So I've done all the artwork by myself because I'm uh, still trying to figure out uh, the same question. I did, however, so when I started, I did hire an artist from Toronto. Um, and so this artist started off with creating cover art because that was, you know, advanced art that I couldn't do. I can start off with the 8-bit, 16-bit style. And, uh, but this, you know, I needed amazing cover art. So that was for EGLX uh, 2018. So you hire an artist, um, and this was an individual that I literally met in uh, CNE. So CNE, Canadian uh, National Exhibition, had a separate area, uh, I think it was Gaming Garage or something like that, and where a lot of indie devs and artists were. It was a small setup. This is where I met. So I met literally going to events. I met an individual like his art. Uh, we connected after that CNE. Uh, talked about what I wanted. Um, he told me the price. He was reasonable, so we gave it a try. Um, what I found out later, though, is that there's so many different ways where you can actually get global artists for really affordable. Our station is one. Um, and I know I met in 2019, I met a group who creates um, game cards, like Magic-style cards. And each card looks amazing like their art is stopped and you know the artist that they paid was it was hundred dollars so that was a huge difference versus you know hiring somebody local so yeah i say our station and there's a lot of different ways you can go about it uh, but our station is probably a good way uh, because you can you know you kind of put your description of what you want um, and you can find some really really talented artists that are very affordable so now you have a game, let's say, I don't know when you're planning to release, but uh, you can tell us about next month or year or whatever. Um, what is the process like to get onto like the Steam store? You, you talked about the Nintendo Switch, but what is it like to get onto the Steam store and, and any other kind of platform you can get onto? So from the Steam perspective, I was lucky that when I started, I think they had 
was like a green light. Uh, Steam had a green light thing where you had to get 30,000 signatures or something like that um, for them to actually consider your game to appear in the store. Uh, they changed that. So, you know, you pay a small fee. I, I can't remember the exact details. At $100, $150, maybe a little bit more. And right away, you know, you can uh, you upload, you create a store page. Um, they review all the details. Uh, but yeah, you can, you know, simple as that. Um, you sign sign their partnership agreement, and you can create games and upload to Steam. From the Nintendo Switch perspective, uh, that is a completely different ball game uh, because, as you guys know, Nintendo um, has a closed uh, developer. Uh, agreement basically they don't not everybody can release nintendo switch uh so what they do is everybody has to be approved and so one way to get approved was either if you had a really you know popular game that was released prior and they knew who you were or if you had a really good publisher who would vouch for you that had already released games onto their platform uh there was no other option uh only recently they start kind of considering other, you know, people who maybe are not going that route, but they had to be impressed by by the game. So I know a studio in Toronto who released uh, what was their game? It was a really cool looking like a, a shooter game, uh, like a an airplane shooter with like cubes and stuff. They're in Toronto and they basically presented to Nintendo without a publisher, and Nintendo loved it and said, "Look," and I think Nintendo even funded uh, their game. So they are, you know, those type of scenarios, but they are rare. Typically, 95% of devs get rejected. Um, so you just have to continuously um, approach them or get a publisher. From uh, Sony perspective, I haven't collaborated with yet with them. Uh, however, I did hear that they're extremely tough as well. Uh, from Microsoft perspective, they're very easy. So, you know, you basically kind of like very much like Steam. You fill out the partnership agreement you're good to go. And then obviously when the game is done, they need to review, make sure that it passes their quality. Uh, but other than that, you should be good. But yeah, Nintendo and I would say Sony are the ones that are a little bit harder to, to get into. But again, with a publisher, um, that's not a problem. You recommended for people getting into um, indie game development to start doing jams and just doing like a game a month, that sort of thing. But you said that you know like you moved to spain and you wanted to start off a start a team and now you have um you know this software company with your own team from people all over the world how did you make a decision to do that and like where does that come from your whole um i guess entrepreneurial spirit so i was lucky when i graduated college um and i was trying i was applying for a job and i couldn't find a job anywhere so even though I had a nice advanced diploma from Mohawk College in programming, I went back to work in factories like I did prior to finishing college. It was really hard because, you know, you, when you look at applying for jobs, and I'm sure that a lot of, you know, people who finish university or college go through that. You know, as a developer, they're expecting 150 years of development experience uh, every time that you apply. So, uh, but I, you know, luckily I was able to get into TD Bank. Um, I had a relative who was working there and he was um, a consultant. So he got me in and uh, I was able to assist them in creating um, you know, a, a program that, cal that calculated bonuses for them. And so what I realized was that 
even though I just finished Mohawk College and I, you know, I, most of the people there had their MBA degrees and so forth, I was able to create something that they found, found you know, extremely valuable. And from there, I went to other companies, did the same. You know, created really cool software. These companies loved it, you know. Um, and, and so I realized that at the end of like when I was in 2015, 2016, and, you know, I was doing these jobs for other people, I, I was getting a little bit bored, um, drained, and I wasn't finding a lot of reward for myself. You know, I was putting in a lot of hours coming home, you know, talking to my wife and, you know, you, you're getting the salary pay, which is great. But these companies are making millions of dollars of your efforts. And uh, that year was tough because, uh, you know, nobody got bonus, even though, you know, myself and my guys, we put in 16 hours a day and, you know, we miss Christmas and New Year's and comes bonus time. And because the sales team didn't do their job, the whole company didn't get a bonus. So I realized that, you know what, why am I sacrificing so much for somebody else? You know, I've done these really cool projects. I can do that on my own. Why don't I try? And so I said, well, you know, let's, uh, because I was doing, you know, uh, games as a hobby and that was my dream. And I applied to many companies, but until, unless you have that, you know, worked on a triple A game, nobody wants to hire you. Um, so I kind of decided, you know, realizing my potential, basically, you know, I worked for some really high profile companies on high profile projects um, where I, in some of them, I lifted most of the weight. So they said, why don't I try this on my own? And let's see where it's going to lead me. Yeah, we can kind of relate to that, Anthony, right? Because we graduated pretty much right as the recession hit. Yeah. So suddenly there was like hundreds of AAA developers who got laid off and they were out there, you know, competing for scraps, basically. And all the guys who just graduated just didn't stand a chance pretty much. <laughs> no. And here we are making indie games, trying to make a big still. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I feel the same because uh, when the recession hit um, and kind of looking from the software kind of programming perspective jobs, it was really tough. And I also found the challenge with software development is that, you know, you always have a new flavor of the month. You know, it's at one point it's Java and then from Java, you know, everybody's going crazy about C sharp and, you know, then you have, uh, you know, MVC three, four, but then it's switched to core and then it's, so it's continuously evolving. And unless you're continuously, you know, evolving your skills, you get left behind fairly quickly. And I found myself a little bit behind. It was really hard to find new jobs, especially around the recession time. Um, and so I realized that you know, okay, so it's going to be a challenge and it's something that I have to learn for the rest of my life. What if I get into an industry that I'm extremely passionate about, like video game development? Maybe that learning wouldn't be as bad. Maybe it will it'll be fun. That's a great perspective to have. Yeah, I think what's been helpful recently with a lot of, with the whole indie scene, why it blew up is because now we do have these tools that are super accessible, right? You don't have to do it in assembly code or machine code anymore. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so it was great uh, talking to you today. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure talking to you as well. No, thank you so much for yeah, coming. Yeah, um, it was a total blast. Uh, this is your time to say all of the handles and websites and everything that you want people to check out. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you know, helpontheawakening.com uh, is our website. Um, 
And basically, um, if you uh, on Twitter is where I post most of the updates, and it's uh, Hellbound underscore Game, and that's that's where you can uh, find us there. But uh, yeah, we're well. I'm planning to release the game. Uh, target is end of this year, uh, but it might spill over to um, Q1, Q2 of the next year. Uh, because since I got approved for Nintendo Switch, and that was my ori- original focus, really, um, I really want to make sure that, that I release it first there, and then I'll release it on Steam. Okay, thank you so much. That was great. Guys, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. This has been Dev's Advocate, where uh, a couple of uh, indie game developer Joes interview some fantastic indie game developers all around the world. My name is Eric. And my name's Anthony. Thanks for joining us again.